how she get it. Made a couple racks, I never asked how she get it. Thank you for being here with me at Connect with Christina, Mr. Albert Santana. Thank you for having me, Christina. It's great to be here. I'm excited to have you on because, as you know, I love Arizona so much. And you happen to, well, love Arizona. I do. And know a lot about Arizona. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, uh, one, happy to be on here talking about Arizona, specifically, you know, being born and raised in Phoenix. And so anytime I get a chance to talk to someone like yourself and share a little bit of information, let people know what's going on, anything to drum up uh, and talk about your city is always a good thing. So. And you were with the census for how long? Well, actually, I mean, I was with the city of Phoenix. And I won't say for exactly how long, but for, for many years. <laughs> for but, a um, long time. Yeah, for a while. And, and honestly, when you work for an organization like the city, you get to have multiple opportunities to do different things. The majority of my time at the city of Phoenix was over transportation, specifically with things like light rail and bus rapid transit. And, Which is a massive, right, massive project. Yeah, mass transit, high capacity transit. And, and my big thing with that is as the nation's fastest growing city, if you're going to grow with quality, you have to give people options on how they're getting to and from. If we only had options that required everyone to drive, then we'd have a jam-packed city with some cities across America do. So what we're trying to do is create options. So whether you want to take a bus or a train, or if you want a bike, or if you want to drive your car or whatever, that we have options for everyone. So that was a big part of my career with the city of Phoenix. I then did get a chance to, to do some work for three years on the 2020 census which is huge for cities because it's truly how we get our funding. So whenever you see a roadway project or your trash getting picked up or cool parks and recreation programs or library, all of that is based off of funding we get through the census because depending on how many people live in your city, the federal government allocates money to you for those public services that people pay their taxes towards. So that was awesome. I also got to spend some time in parks and recreation. So it's been great to have all of those opportunities and now transitioning very recently into the private sector and being able to do lots of work with different governments and everything else. Yeah. Tell me more about awesome. that. I, I just learned about that. Yeah, so congratulations. Just, just happened uh, last this month and September 15th was actually when I transferred over. And um, like I said, I, I can't say enough about what the city of Phoenix gave me as far as opportunities to, to work in so many capacities, but Really excited about making the transition. It's a little nervous when you're coming from 20 plus years in a public sector <laughs> into a private sector role. But um, recently, so I'm the uh, vice president for Taurus Multicultural Communications. And that firm has been doing great work for many years. Um, the founder and CEO of it, Tanya Torres, has done such an outstanding job growing it from the beginning to what it is now, uh, being a part of massive transit projects, uh, working in great medical industries, and also lots of stuff in PR and marketing. So being able to be a part of that team and helping to sus sustainably grow it it's pretty exciting. It's been, like I said, all of a couple of weeks. So probably if we get invited back, I can share some more <laughs> great things about what we're doing. But um, it's nice to be a part of that kind of a team right now that's growing and doing good things within the city, state, and soon in other parts of the country. So exciting stuff. So what exactly is this firm? Like, what is the industry that you're in now? So specifically, it's in, in public relations and in public involvement. So like in lots of transportation projects, it's a lot of construction going on, lots of confusing engineering elements. So really what we are, our big goal is to human to, to humanize that. 
So when you're a business along the corridor where the construction is happening, it's our job to give the construction notices. It's our job to explain what is happening in front of you. It's our job to make sure that your driveways are never blocked and people can access your business. So really providing that public education to any kind of major project happening around you. And it's a very important part because it's a nerve. It's nervous when you've got a construction project that's out front of your building, like we have in downtown. And they tell you, well, this project's going to be here for five years. And you're sitting there as a local business owner saying, how do I help get the word out? So not only do we help give the education on a day-to-day basis, we work closely with them and the contractors and any of the clients on how we can make sure that we get the word out about their business as well and make them thrive and survive during the construction and thereafter. So a whole multitude of things. And then we also do lots of different PR support for them as well. And so it's, it's like I said, it's a really important role and it's a part of construction that not many people know. It's, it's so much more than just actually building something. Like we have to remember that when you're building something in the public's right away, you have to educate the public about what you're doing. So, well, and it's funny because, you know, we're all just living our lives yeah. and we don't think about those things Correct. and like all the components that come into play when there's construction. Right. I mean, as a property manager in the past, I remember the stress we would have when there's construction by our, you know, entrance right. because that's, it's hurting our drive by traffic. Right. Cause if someone can't conveniently get in there, they may just choose the next one that's right. like you down the street. And you know, this better than, than most as far as, how important it is for us to create a positive atmosphere to support, especially our local businesses, all the work that you do in that space is for a reason, whether there's construction there or not. Um, and I know we share the value of how much we as people living in these communities and specifically for me here in the downtown Phoenix area, we have to always keep our arms wrapped around our local businesses and do our best to support them. So whether there's a project in front of them or not, uh, I always do my best to try to support them. And I know that you've done some amazing events for a lot of local businesses and I've had the chance to attend a couple here in downtown. So I definitely thank you for the work you do in that space as well. Yeah, I, I think that we can always play even a small, small part, you know, in that. I Absolutely. mean, I mean, tell me about uh, when COVID was happening, like, you know, what are the, some of the other than the obvious things like that you were having to deal with for the city during that time? You know, once the initial shock was over and, 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 you know, when it first happened, we didn't know how long it was going to be. Right. I don't, I don't think any of us knew what was happening. We had heard about some of these things before with H1N1 and, and we always just said, oh, wow, we feel for those countries out there that are getting hit so hard, but it never seemed to quite hit us as hard here home. And this one obviously did. And we're still, let's make no mistake, we're still living in, in that world, you know, where things kind of mask up, don't mask up, distance, don't distance. And, you know, obviously, from my opinion, you never want to compromise something like the public's health. So looking back on it, um, you know, we, we need to make sure, again, in my opinion, that we were doing stuff to keep each other safe. And at the same time, there's definitely the the business health of our of our businesses. So as a city back then, what, what we were doing was I was working at the census at the time. And so we quickly had to figure out how do we continue to educate, but do so like in a virtual format. Because one thing that we learned is that while no one was out and about, we kind of made a pivot to our marketing plans and said, well, if no one's out and about, that means they're spending and what we come to find out about 60 to 70% more time at home. So we started re retargeting our marketing efforts to stuff that you would see on your, ta- on your TV 
or commercials that you see on Hulu, et cetera, because people were watching, consuming so home. much more yeah. stuff at home or on their tablets or on their iPhone. So that was the way we stayed relevant as a city about educating. And that was just census as one example, but we did that for a lot. We also knew that people were allowed to go to a couple places throughout the entire pandemic. One was the grocery store. So we used, we used tactics like geofencing. So we were able to, because of people's cell phones that we all carry, you can know when someone, not through their personal phone number, but through the information on their phone. So we would know when people were in a grocery store so we could send messages of awareness to them while they were, you know, doing a shopping at a grocery store or if they were at a medical appointment. So I think it made all of us have to rethink how we do stuff. And, and really another thing that I would say is, um, a lot of us, and, and I'm feeling this in the new firm that I'm at, when something lasts, as long as this has lasted, people are really starting to reprioritize what's important to them as far as a work-life balance, right? All of a sudden, it's like, if I can actually do the job I'm doing and just as effectively but be at home and be able to manage some of those things that I could never quite get to or whether it's childcare or whatever it is, like all of a sudden, we as, a, as an employer now in the, in the private sector, we're really looking at professional development and ways that we can take care of our employees outside of just the money that they're making. So I think those are some silver lining that's, things that are coming important. out. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Speak on that a little bit more. Like, so you're saying that the resources, right. Are yeah. that you're providing some of those, those resources. Yeah. And, and, and even when you're looking at even restaurants or whatnot, like there's silver lining moments, I think that are coming out of this because restaurants now especially in bars or clubs they're really going above and beyond to keep their patrons safe from a health perspective not mm -hmm. just from safe in general which they always have but but you're seeing the the creativity really coming out so i think this pandemic allowed us to enforce this maybe at first but now allowing for some more creativity whether you're in the public sector whether you're in the private sector and then again like i said as far as for those of us that are employing people especially like professional type staff giving them the opportunity to say, you know, where priorities are at now, like, you know, exercising kind of non-traditional work not schedules and, and offering things like a balance between a telecommute schedule and an in-the-office schedule, if your job allows it. And, and if that's a priority and you can offer it, then, you know, why not? We've all proven that we can telework to some degree in most of our jobs. Obviously, there are jobs like firefighters and police officers and even some of our construction where you can't really telecommute on those ones. But, um, but when you can, uh, I think it, for me, at least personally, I'm much more open to, to that kind of stuff. Like you don't have to prove to walk into a building to say you're working. So, I mean, I, again, I like we can that point. Yeah, say you know, it again. You know, you don't have to, like I, I, I tell, I tell people that I work with, I'm like, there's like a 12 year old summer that like five, six, seven, eight years from now is going to say, you had to walk into a building physically for 40 hours to prove that you're simply doing a job you could have done at home the whole time and not have to worry about, driving there and hurting our environment or spending more money on gas or doing all these different things you could have like and and so i think there's a balance to all this everything has a domino effect um obviously i'm not trying to scare off people that are in the commercial real estate business because sure. we do need people in our offices because they also mm -hmm. patron restaurants when they're at work and, and like you said it, it the keyword was if your job allowed oh, correct it. and yeah. then obviously as a person like not everyone can work from home no. and sometimes we want to get out the house right yeah. let's just be honest we love our families and everything but sometimes it's nice just to get out and go right. to the office and see your coworkers and chop it up and get some work done so well and it even affects the health side because oh, if yeah. you're just at home you're not getting up <laughs> exactly. you're not you know but so true. coming back to like phoenix i think some of the businesses one of them being uh, Golden Margarita, mm -hmm. and Jem will be joining us later on another episode, but they fought 
through COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, that they he was so, I guess, innovative and proactive in like, hey, I'm going to... I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow all the rules, right. but I want to make sure my staff has, you know, like work. Absolutely. And I think that's what it takes. I mean, there, you know, you don't want to find yourself and I'm not a, a restaurant or bar owner, but just as someone that's around those folks a lot and, and seeing the different personalities of the owners or the leadership in each one of those, those locations, you know, you, you find yourself in some self-fulfilling prophecies, meaning that if you just, allow the the pandemic to completely run everything maybe some of those folks found themselves in different situations but the example you gave in someone like jim he never stops thinking of new ideas no he didn't let it dictate you know and so he dictated it exactly (laughs) and and you know there's there's the i think the thing that we've all come to learn is that there are going to be moments possibly in your life where we had no control so whatever policies were being set whether it was a national policy a state policy or a city policy we don't control those. So whatever rolls out, let's see what they are. And then we figure out how we can work within them, keep people safe and then keep people healthy. But I think the big part is, is, is trying to bring people together because we're an ecosystem of human beings and we have to support each other and we depend on each other. I don't care how rich you are or if you're not as rich, we all depend on each other. Like someone like Jeff Bezos is only rich as the amount of people that are able to buy things off of Amazon, which there's no one buying stuff on Amazon that makes the money he does, but we are all in this ecosystem together. And if you can always, in my mind, keep that mindset, that's what keeps me going. During the pandemic, I found myself in every opportunity picking up the to-go orders from any one of the restaurants in my neighborhood. I found myself when it was safe to be able to go there and follow whatever rules they may have, because at the end of the day, it's their restaurant, it's their space. If they had, not all the restaurants had all the same rules and that's yeah. okay because why, to survive too. you know, there's no need to worry about that. And, and not all people feel the same way about the different rules that came upon us, but as everyone respects each other's own personal opinions and their own personal decisions, at the end of the day, especially when it's for these local businesses, between local businesses and hotels, I mean, they got hit the hardest, let's mm-hmm. be honest. I mean, they physically couldn't open up and they depended on that foot traffic. So whatever creative ways they were allowing us to patronize them, whether it was online or whether it was a pickup, I, I know I took it as a personal challenge to do what I could to support. Same. And I know you did as well. And then when when it was safe for us to be able to have some in-person activities, we all did it in a very safe manner. And, and that was really neat coming back into some of those places and some of the way they modified their own buildings. Like you talked about, you know, Jem, for example, and other places around Roosevelt Row and, and whatnot. You've seen different ways that they even like physically did stuff with, whether it's plexiglasses or the way, mm-hmm. how big are QR codes now, right? I mean, and it actually could maybe save you money. You don't have to spend the print money every time you change your menu. You have a QR code where you do it digitally. I mean, I've even seen on the golf course now, like, you instead of having a golf card where you're keeping score, you use a QR code. Oh, that's you different. keep your score and it gives you the core. So you see all this creativity coming out, which I think for me is again for the owners, like you mentioned, Jim, and, and we can name several that and, and I know Jim can name more, but it actually has put us in a place that restaurants have even maybe found themselves in some cases to become even more efficient. I think the big thing we need to help them with now is trying to find talent to be able to go to work for them because I know there's a lot of people, especially in Arizona, restaurant-wise, that are just looking for staff, good staff, whether it's a bartender, whether Mm -hmm. it's a server, whether it's a cook. And and I won't speak to that. Jim can speak to that much more than I could, but but I know I hear that through people like him to help. But let me touch on that, though, because you're right. Like, if you see a restaurant, right, and then they can't seat you or it's taking a long time or the service is slow and you're looking and you're like, 
Well, there's so many empty tables, right? right? But what the back, you don't know, is they're understaffed. Right. The, the ratio from worker to patron. And I yeah. think that's why I've seen a lot of places that are even putting up signage now. It's like, let's be kind to those that showed up. And right. we need to remind ourselves about that I because like that. in every in every walk of life, it's the same way in construction. I can tell you that right now. The lead time to get access to things like steel, wood, concrete has gone from like a two-week lead time to like a three, four-month lead time. And it's more expensive. So I think we should all be very patient, especially with restaurants and bars for the people that are actually showing up to work because all of us are having that right now. Things are taking a little longer to get access to. Prices are kind of all over the place. So the pandemic has impacted all of us in different ways, but it's no mean for us to just shut down and give up. I think we, we plow through it, we get more efficient, and then that's where you get those kind of silver line benefits at the end. And I think, yeah, being more patient and understanding, like, for example, you know, again, this is not something they would know, or even I didn't know until I was told I went to Maple and Ash and the, the crabs, I love crabs. Yeah. (laughs) Um, they, I think the price is like double because. Well, look at the price of meat. Well, yeah, but like they couldn't, there's not enough crab. Right. Or like, you know how at Maple and Ash, they have the, the, their centerpieces are candles. Yeah. So apparently, we we were told, um, Kevin and I were told that the wick for that candle, the manufacturer can't make them because they're out. Right. It's, it's, it goes back to that ecosystem I was telling you about. It's forcing us to understand the impacts and then how one little thing like something like a wick is impacting your life differently. But you, we have took all this stuff for granted before. I mean, we talk about the pricing, like the, the price of meat. And I say this now for anyone that's watching this is that don't be upset when you go to your favorite restaurant, whether it's a sophisticated place like a city hall or a basic one. Those prices are up because the restaurant's prices are up. I mean, one of the biggest workforces hit by the pandemic were the workers that were first, you know, you can't take care of those kind of farms where you have kettle and cattle and everything. And so those people were getting COVID like crazy. So they lost a lot of their workers, which then dictated the pricing of their meats. So that's why something like meat became so, I mean, when you go to a carniceria and you're like, wait, I used to pay $7 a pound for this ranchetta. Now it's $16. Well, it's not them actually increasing profit margin per se. It's just how much it's costing them to get access to some of this stuff. And the more we can allow ourselves to be patient and then understand, and it's not necessarily that people are trying to take advantage it's a matter of it's there's this domino effect and it's definitely not just coming from a restaurant. It's they have people that they're ordering stuff right. from. And unfortunately, if, if things cost them more and then they held the price with us, then your restaurant would be gone in a month. Yeah. You know? and they, then we lose, then we lose the assets. So. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, part of loving Arizona really is just I mean, we're like a melting pot. We right? are. And there's so many good people here. And you were talking about um, this ecosystem. And that's true. And I think humans are not built to to be away from each other or stay home like we are humans like we need that right yeah. so some of the heroes and there's a lot and maybe you can help me remember the rest but i remember um one of the eeg properties casa amigos uh-huh. one of their um people there their main you know managers i forget his title but drew young okay. and his family during COVID, he was allowing us, other people, you know, if my firm wanted to um, sponsor lunch for everyone, all the nurses at right. Banner or or here or there, right. all the medical staff, he would deliver them through the heart of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. And, 
you know, so to see a city like come together and like people rising up, like the the people yeah. that maybe sometimes you least expect, you right, know. Right. Yeah, or you just didn't know that that was a side of what they're passionate about. You, I, I did hear lots of stories about different restaurants that took it upon themselves to have those initiatives of making sure that those nurses and doctors uh, that were frontline dealing with COVID and working countless amount of hours were able to have the, you know, food delivered to them healthy in a safe way. And so those, those again, I think those are the moments that I hope people equally remember. There were a lot of really tough moments in something like this. Um, it was kind of funny, you know, different generations have experienced different things, you know, where there was the baby boomers or before the baby boomers and, for myself, you know, Gen Xers and stuff, it was like, what was, what was our thing? You know, we kind of sort of, we, maybe some of us were a little bit younger when September 11th happened, but definitely we, we've, we've got something that we lived through as adults with, with this pandemic. And, and I do think that as tough as it was, and, and, and I, my heart goes out, especially to those people that have lost loved ones and families and friends, there's, you know, never the right words for that. I could just say that I hope that we take a lot of lessons learned and that we can, learn how important it is for us to be good human beings to each other, you know, putting politics aside. I mean, those type of things, they exist. There's political overtones in damn near everything we do, but I don't think they should dictate, dictate our lives, dictate who our friends are, dictate what restaurants we go to. I think that we should do that based on places that we want to go and that we want to support each other. It's always such an easier route to, to have that kind of a positive human interaction. Cause I agree with you. We're, we're an interactive being. We're not meant to be, Locked up in a room and, you know, that's not something that we want to do. I understand we had to because there was moments where we need to be safe so that way we can be around to be able to have safe interactions. So I think that, you know, that moment happened. But now that we have a better understanding about what goes on and how we can be safe and and what we need to do, I I think it's the sky's the limit. Um, I I would just say that, you know, as a being, I think we're blessed here in Phoenix in a different way that, um, we're a growing place. And if, and if we, if we can just figure out how to grow right together, um, we are the fastest growing major city in the country. Is that it was still 300 people a day moving here. It's a, no, 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 300,000. You said 300 people. It's, it's a, it's a little over 125,000 a year, which is a really fast growing city, um, for, for, for a city, our size. So it goes New York, LA, Chicago, Houston, and then Phoenix. And not many people realize that we are well spread out downtown if people haven't come in a while it's starting to densify itself it's really diverse you kind of are hard pressed to find something that's not local which is amazing not to say that chains are bad i would never speak bad about that there's just a special place at least in my heart for for local owned businesses in any community kind of learned that from my friends in chicago chicago did it right first i think they really put their arms around local economies you have to and phoenix has kind of taken a chapter out of that so it's great. I'm glad you were able to let me have some time with you. I don't know how much time we have left, but uh, I do get really passionate about this stuff. And I definitely would love to come back and appreciate all the work that you do. You, I know you have a big heart when it comes to supporting people around you and businesses around you. And then the work that you do, you take very passionately. So I appreciate you doing well, that. Thank you. I Before you leave, I want to ask you, so... What are like the few things I know there's a lot, but your, your favorite things that about Phoenix, like, why do you love Arizona so much? You know, I I mean, it's, it's, I guess I would start off by saying if I'm a little biased, good. I'm a little biased. (laughs) I was born and raised here. So I'll, I'll start off with that. You know, I, I think for us, the opportunity to be kind of in a younger city and, and learning some of the best practices for some of the older cities, things like supporting your local economy, things like proactively inve- uh, investing in transportation, 
Um, and then also seeing the dynamics change. You have so many people moving here, so many people that are born here. And then we're also an international borderline as well to our friends in, in Mexico, just to the south. Having that kind of a, a, a mix of people coming to a place where everyone can kind of find their own groove. And the last thing I would say is that we're a very livable city. And, and what I mean by that is we've got solid education groups. I'm, I'm the person that went to Arizona State University when it was known for a party school. ASU is not that anymore. We are the number one innovative school, one of the top research schools, one of the top law schools, business schools. And I'm so proud that that is happening at Arizona State University. U of A does a great job. NAU does a great job. I think that we finally have these institutions because that's what attracts talent to come here. You need a solid education base. Arizona's education in general, we need to keep supporting and making that better and better. But but I would say one of the things that really stands out to me is that when we have a city that's growing and we have a state that's growing and the more that we can allow people to kind of put their arms around. But, but when I get back to what I was saying, as far as we're very livable in the sense that there are jobs available, there are educational opportunities available and it's affordable. Now, granted, prices will fluctuate with economies. But when you look at those five cities I mentioned, when you look at those major cities and our, our price per square foot, whether it's for a restaurant or whether it's for your residential or commercial, we're a pretty damn affordable city. So what that means to me is that there's opportunities for a lot of us. You can actually come here, get a job here, own a home here and go to school here without going billions of dollars into debt. There are places in this in this country where no matter how successful you are, the thought of owning a home just ain't happening right. for a very small few of the population. I think that's why a lot of people from other states are finding themselves making Arizona their home. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, if you drive around, like the license plates are just like across. I know. I know. And for me, like I said, like a native, it's fine. In certain neighborhoods that I grew up in, you know, in myself, West Phoenix and South Phoenix, you have, that's where a lot of our natives kind of grew up in but but when you look valley wide i you know I, I was out in the east valley and i and i need to get out there more to, to be honest it just seemed i get so busy in the downtown area but yeah you can see a lot of transplants that come here which says a lot about your town especially when you have things the like east in the east side. valley with, with east the valley intel, is people from all over the yeah. world here which brings a lot of cool of ideas and things that people would love to see in their city maybe that they saw back home to make them feel a little more comfortable so so all that is just exciting. i feel like we're that's the other thing i love it's it's literally just pockets because we can be in east mesa you know queen creek mm -hmm. or phoenix or scottsdale just like that absolutely and that's you a know? part of that transportation piece to it you know between freeways roads public transit how all those systems work together allow you to do what you just said which is be able to get from one side of the valley to the other side of the valley and you don't have to get a hotel room because you right. ain't going to make that commute back and you can actually <laughs> you know you can actually get back in time and be okay and then, honestly like people don't think about those things because you're busy living you know, and like yeah. it, you know you take so much for granted and i think yeah. even though obviously 2020 brought a lot of bad things i think that it came with good too which is making oh, us realize totally a big recognition yeah. and a big thing about being humbled as a human being like some of the many things we all take for granted, got shut down. And then it's like, wow, I really missed that. And mm -hmm. so that's what was so neat. As we kind of started finding ourselves coming out of the pandemic, we were extra blessed in Phoenix because our wonderful Phoenix sons were kicking ass and taking names, right? <laughs> but that was a shot to the economy. You ask, right. ask Jim when he gets onto your show. That it was a huge boost to their economy, having something like that kind of a vibe happening at virtually every bar and restaurant. What the sons were able to do was the probably the most fortunate thing that could have happened in my opinion again you'd have to ask bar and restaurant owners themselves but 
just as a patron, I'm like, how perfect was that for the Phoenix market to know that our team was able to have that kind of vibrant activity for those restaurants coming out of a pandemic? I think bless them. Cardinals are doing great too. So we'll keep that up. And I'm but a big sports person by <laughs> default. So I apologize. And don't apologize because yeah. that that sports, everything else, you know, brings people yeah. together. And I think like that's you saw that yeah. you saw, you yeah. know, it didn't matter if you're rich or poor, you're middle class, like you, come you together. felt like you were a city, one city. Yeah. And they're back. Suns, Lakers yeah. preseason this Wednesday. <laughs> so it felt like it was and even shout out. Like, you know, exactly. No, they don't even need a shout out. Now. I have a random packed. question to ask you. How many masks did you order? It was an astounding number. Oh, right? when they were at the time too, where they were getting ready to come back. So a lot of them went to youth. So some of the school districts that just didn't have different funding, we were trying to help the school districts that needed the resources. So city of Phoenix being who they are and the champions they are, they, you know, through our program at the census, we ordered hundreds of thousands of masks to give to kids and adults, teachers, whoever needed them. And then also it was had the census logo on them. So it was a reminder, hey, make sure you fill out that census so we can fund. When schooling. is the census due again? Well, well, it happens every 10 years. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's a decennial. So we'll be back at it at 2030 as a, you know, I won't wow. be in that same role, but 2030. Um, I know they do it every time, but they, now that, now the census bureau, I'm not going to geek out on the census too much, but every year they're tracking population. They have a thing called the American community survey. Mm -hmm. So they do a sample of people across the country saying, you know, where are you at? What's your education, et cetera. But the big major count of everybody is every 10 years. So to, um, to end this, this episode yeah. to the people who run away from the folks doing the census. Can you remind them why it's important? I know you said it in the beginning, but why is it important to take the time to do that? What I'll tell you is that my elevator speech is that the census, all kidding aside, is the lifeline for every public benefit you have. Your child's education, your healthcare system, your transportation system, libraries, all of those programs are based off of funding that you get as a result of making sure you have your census count right. So if any of those kind of things are important in your life, and I don't know anyone that can't say they're not important, that's why it's important for you to take a couple minutes and fill out that census when it comes to your door. There you go, folks. Albert, thank you for being here at Connect with Christina, a.k.a. Cloud God. There you go.